Amen. Hey, before you guys take a seat, why don't you do me a favor? I know we already did this once, but do it one more time. Uh, can you say hi to someone new? I know some of you love this time, but meet someone new. Introduce yourself. Be friendly. Be outgoing. Don't wait for someone to go to you. Go to them one more time. Why not, right? All right, hey, you guys can take a seat once you've met someone new. You can take a seat. Just want to be friendly, meet someone new. So, welcome. Um, let's do this, right? Actually, let's get started. If you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand. We'd love to get you a Bible so you can follow along with us. But we are in 1 John. This is our fourth week. We're still in chapter 2. We'll be finishing chapter 2 tonight. Uh, but we are in 1 John. Little book of 1 John, five chapters. Again, um, I'm going to share some more at the end, um, but just want to say welcome. This is our fourth week meeting here on a Sunday night. Um, we've been meeting in my house since last July of 2016, doing some prayer meetings, prayer walks, and then we kind of started just hanging out and having some barbecues and some little Bible studies in the morning. And finally, September 17th, we came here and had our first little Sunday gathering. So it's been fun to do this with you guys. Um, our hope and our goal is to, to have uh, to rent a place on Sunday mornings by J January. So that is our hope. That's kind of what we're aiming for. But uh, it's been good to be here with you guys going through this book. Um, I hope that God's just using this book in your life to kind of bring some things to the surface, kind of maybe stir within your heart some new vision for church and community and uh, what, we're trying to, what we're trying to do here. So First John, we're in chapter 2. Let me just catch up to speed. Last week we looked at how can I be sure. So we talked about the idea of how can I really know I'm walking with God? How can I really know I have a relationship with God? And so that was kind of the start of, of last week. The week before, we talked about how we are reconciled to God because Jesus being that substitute for us. But now, how do I walk with him? And what, how, what does that look like? What is my, how does my life change in light of knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus? And today, we're kind of continuing that thought, not just how can I know, but more the idea of um, what does it look like to be an authentic believer? What does it look like to be an authentic Christian? And so today we're going to be looking at really almost counterfeits so we can know what an authentic believer looks like. And so we're in 1 John 2, and if this is your first time, I just want to warn you, John brings up right away the Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist. If you're here, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, we're going to talk about the Antichrist a little bit today, because John does. Um, but it won't be about the Antichrist as much as about the Christ, because it's really not about him. But John is actually the first and only person to use that term Antichrist. John is the first person to use that exact word, and he uses it four other times, and we'll look at that. Uh, there's other titles for the Antichrist, but John's the one who kind of coined that title. And so we're going to be looking at him, and more importantly, we're going to look at the spirit of the Antichrist, because that's what John is warning against. What is the spirit of the Antichrist? And so, um, again, if it's your first time, like, oh my gosh, this is great. This church is weird already. Uh, don't worry, we're not going to bust out any charts and have any you know, dates. We're going to guess September 23rd, like everyone thought. Don't worry, there's not going to be nothing like that. But uh, we do find it necessary to talk about this, because John talks about this. So, so we are as well. Um, so let's do this, actually. Let's just pray. There's a lot of text today. Let's just pray, and then we'll dive into the text. First John chapter 2. We're going to be re reading verse 18 to 29 in just a second, but let's pray first. 
Father, we thank you so much just for this time to slow down, to look to you. God, we thank you that your word is living and it is powerful. God, we thank you that it just transforms our lives. God, we hope that the songs we sing, the times we just hang out, uh, that would not just be, again, for, not even for us, but more for you, God. We just want our focus and our attention to be brought back to you. We thank you that, God, you are light. We thank you, God, that you've, you've welcomed us into this wonderful community called the church. And we ask that you just be with us and speak now in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. So let's get started. As you guys know, um, whenever there's anything beautiful or wonderful and incredible, right away, whenever you have something like that, there's going to be a counterfeit. There's going to be a phony. There's going to be a fake version. Anytime anything good is made or created, we like to try to copy that and sell it at a cheaper price, right? And that's what a counterfeit is. You know, think of some counterfeits really quick. Throw some things out there to me. What are some counterfeits? You guys can say anything. What are some counterfeits that people counterfeit today? Something we, we make a phony of. What? Purses, a lot of counterfeit purses. My mom, I think, got one in New York one time, actually. Uh, we have counterfeit watches, money, sports memorabilia, rock and roll memorabilia, uh, everything and anything that you can counterfeit, we will try to counterfeit. I don't know if you've ever seen those shows where, you know, they go to try to sell something to like, a, you know, like a Pawn Star show. They go and try to sell something to a buyer and they say, hey, I have a signed, legitimate autograph baseball from Babe Ruth. They're like, well, let me get my expert in. And the expert comes and checks it out. And they're like, this is fake. And they're like, I spent millions. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen anything like that, but that, that happens quite a bit where we buy counterfeits because we think it's real. Uh, my wife and I, back in 2012, got to travel through Greece and Turkey, went to some old ancient sites, and that was a lot of fun. Just, we went to Ephesus in Turkey, where the book of Ephesians is written to, some really cool places. Uh, and we saw this sign on the way out. We're walking out. It's a genuine fake watches. I kind of respected that. I'm like, these are the best fake watches you can buy. Um, and it's funny, but they're trying to sell these things everywhere. Actually, on that trip, I kind of fell for something. I was a sucker, and I, I feel like I usually have discernment with these things, but not this time. Uh, we're on a little bus. There's literally four people on the bus, this tour bus. And they took us to this little mountain area in Greece. It's gorgeous. Not a big city. You know, that's where I try to avoid buying. Like a small little town is quaint. We had a little villa there, and we ate lunch. And, and the owner came out, and he starts talking to me, and he takes me to his, like, hotel lobby area thing. And he actually used to be the mayor of the city, and you're talking, you know, because he had the pictures of all these people, and he's like, I was the mayor, and everyone, and you saw, like, a hey, mayor so-and-so this year. So you're like, oh, this guy's legit. He's the mayor of the city in Greece. He's an awesome guy. And he's just taking me around, he finds that I'm a Christian, and he, he shows me some stuff. He's like, oh, I have some, I have some old coins and some old rings with, with Jesus's name on it. And so he actually showed me this old signet ring, uh, where in Greek it says, Jesus is Lord, like, you know, Jesus is Lord in Greek. And I thought that's the coolest thing in the world. And he goes, you know what? You're in ministry. He goes, let me, let me just sell you. Let me give it to you for a good deal. I'm like, well, what does that mean? And so we started talking. So for like 100 euros, I bought this ring, which is like 150 bucks then. It'd be like 150 bucks now. So I bought this signet ring where it says Jesus is Lord. And we're sitting on the bus. And on the bus leaving that place, one of the guys next to me happens to be Greek. And he happens to be an archaeologist in Greece. Um, <laughs> just happens to be that. But I tell him this story. I'm like, yeah, I met this nice little man. He goes, oh, I know the man. Yeah, he was the mayor of that city. I'm like, yeah, that's so cool. And he was telling me all about it. I should have known when, I, when he said he's a politician. I should have known right away. Don't trust him, but I didn't. So he's like, oh, what did you get? I'm like, well, I got this ring. And I got this coin. And he's like, how much did you spend? I'm like, 100 euro. He's like, really? He's like, can I see the signet ring? So I show him the signet ring, and I have it here, right? You guys can see this later. It's fun. Should I, so, I, so, I show him the signet ring, and he's looking at it, and he goes, huh, hmm, wow. 
it's very disappointing. I'm like, no. He's like, yeah, it's, it's, he's like, I can't, he goes, I know that guy. I cannot believe he sold you that. I can't believe he did that in good conscience. And in my mind, listen, I know he's, I know he's supposing archaeologist, but I'm still viewing this as a legitimate, real, you know, Byzantine ring. Uh, my wife will never trust me again. She's like, never again. Can you ever buy anything in a different country? Kind of ruin that. But whenever there's something good and beautiful, there seems to be a fake or a phony or a counterfeit to some extent, right? And here's the idea. Think about who John is writing to. John is writing to second and third generation Christians. John is a guy who walked with Jesus himself. John is now 80 to 100 years old. Everyone would say this book was written around that time where he's 80 to 100. And so you have second generation, third generation Christians, people who didn't see Jesus, people who didn't walk with Jesus, and now there's, because of this time, a few years have gone by, there's now this pop up these counterfeit religions that are using the name Jesus, talking about Jesus, but redefining Jesus, right? That doesn't happen today, right? But they're like redefining who Jesus was, and they're talking about Jesus in different terms. And so there is this group of people called the Gnostics, the Gnostics with a G, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. Maybe you've studied Gnosticism before, but in summary, again, it believed that basically anything material or physical is evil. So that means Jesus could not have come in the flesh because flesh is physical. That's evil. It's material. It's evil. And they say, well, if he did come in the flesh, he could have been God because obviously God cannot be in the flesh because flesh is physical and evil. And so their whole thing was Jesus did not come in the flesh. He did not really rise physically. Maybe what we saw was just an emanation from God, a spirit of God. And it's basically a cult, a cult that was 2,000 years ago, a modern day cult for them. It's a different out, a spinoff of who Jesus was and what Christianity was. So what do you do when this happens? You bring in the expert. You bring in the person who knows the person the best. You bring in John to really kind of evaluate this belief system. And so here's John. He's the guy that walked with Jesus, knew Jesus, loved Jesus, served Jesus. And now he's able to kind of reevaluate these Gnostic beliefs, and these Gnostic her- heresies coming up, these counterfeit religions coming up. And so we're going to look at, in just a second, what an authentic Christian looks like, what the authentic Jesus looks like. We're going to talk about these four ideas. But first, I want you to see how John kind of sets up this idea of Gnosticism, of counterfeit religion, and how he calls it the spirit of Antichrist. All right, so look at verse 18. He says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. Let's just stop there. It is the last hour. Now that's said 2,000 years ago, right? So if this is said 2,000 years ago, how much more today, right? It is the last hour. So for us, we should probably wake up a little bit. Now, let me just say this. The last hour is not this, it's not a, ter- it's not a Greek word that actually refers to time, but a period of time. So we might, people can look at this and get cynical. I can read this and go, John, you're saying it's the last hour. That was 2,000 years ago. And go, were you wrong? It's actually referring to a period of time. The Bible, if you look at really the Bible in kind of segments, it more breaks it off into the kind of big big segments of human history. You have Adam and Eve, then the sin came, and then between Adam and Noah, it's kind of a big segment. You kind of have these different segments within human history. One is Jesus died and rose again, and now we're waiting for his return. And so since John's day, the thought was that Jesus would come back in John's life. If you guys even remember, when John, Peter and John are talking to Jesus, basically Jesus says, hey, Peter, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to die, and this is how you're going to die. And Jesus tells Peter how he's going to die in John 21. You can read that. And then Peter goes, what about this guy? What about John? And he goes, what is it to you if John lives when I come back? Like, what is it to you if John never dies? So because of that, people kind of actually mistakenly took that saying and thought that Jesus would, would come back while John was alive. And so there's almost this idea that, okay, well, we know Jesus will come back before John actually dies. And so there's this expectation in some ways. But in reality, this idea of the last hour is referring to, hey, Jesus died and rose again. 
and we are in this period of time where we're just looking for his coming. And again, if it is the last hour then, if it is the last hour 2,000 years ago, how much more now? Actually, there's a few verses I want to throw out to you guys just so you can write these down. We'll throw them up here. But the Bible talks about this idea of the last hour, the last times, uh, quite a bit. Acts 2, 16, it says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, referring obviously to their day. So they thought they were living in the last days then. Hebrews 1, In many various ways God has spoken of old to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Hebrews 9, 26, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. First Peter 1.20, Christ was destined before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest at the end of the times for your sake. In their day, they thought they're at the end of times, the end of the age, the last hour, because again, they had this, expect, this expectation that Jesus would come back in their lifetime. And without me getting too into depth into this, I would say read First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10. Read some passages where people really thought that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. There was this expectation. Before I can talk about the Antichrist of the last hour, I need to talk about the Christ. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. I mean, throughout, human, throughout biblical history, there's this idea of I need to be looking and waiting for the imminent return of Jesus Christ. That this should be something in my mind. Not that I'm looking for, again, for these weird charts or I'm looking for a certain date, but I should be looking and expecting and praying for the person of Jesus Christ. When Jesus, before he was crucified and talking to his disciples in Matthew 24, he gives them these illustrations after illustration, basically saying, watch and pray, watch and pray. I'm leaving you a vineyard. I'm leaving you, I'm leaving you the world. I'm going away to a far country. And you don't know the day or hour I'm coming back. Watch and pray, watch and pray. Jesus constantly communicated this idea of watch and pray. Be aware. And let's just be honest, church. If there's something we could like focus on, is we, it is the last hour, John says. I think that is such a healthy mindset to live today's life. You know, we'll talk about that more as we get into chapter 3, verse 1 through 3 next week. But there's something really healthy about having this mindset that this could be the day Jesus comes back. But there is nothing biblically that needs to happen in order for Jesus to come back. That the imminent return is communicated throughout, the, throughout really the scriptures. You know, something even for us, like we got to consider the day we live in. It's been, it's been, 2017 has been one of the weirdest years, right? It's been a crazy year. What's happened this last week in Vegas? You see 58 people died just by, just, you see, just, I guess, pain, tragedy after tragedy. I, re, I, I actually wrote down a few things that have happened this year alone. 58 people obviously died just a week ago. 49 Christians died, if you guys remember, on Palm Sunday in Egypt after bombings and shootings. 22 people died from explosion at Ariana Grande concert in Manchester. Eight people died in a London attack. Here in Fort Lauderdale, five people were, died in, or were killed in a shooting. Not just that, but you think about natural disasters. Obviously, 50 died from recently from the Hurricane Maria in the Caribbean. 58 people died from Hurricane Irma. More than 20 died from Hurricane Harvey. More than 370 died in Mexico from the earthquakes. I mean, that's just this year, right? And I'm not trying to like, do this to freak us out, but we're, we're told in Matthew 24 that these things would increase before his return. How about this? How about we look at this verse in 2 Timothy 3? Let's just read this. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 5, it says, But we know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. That's an interesting one. Uh, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lo lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. I mean, when you read the Bible, this idea of the last hour, the end of the age, is kind of littered throughout the New Testament. 
And it's more so for us to realize there is this period of time from Jesus' death and resurrection to his coming again that we should be living as if it is his last hour, if it is our last hour. And what it does is this. It just creates an urgency with us to get the gospel out. I think the Bible lovingly knows that it's easy for us to kind of kind of get stagnant in our walk with God and tries to remind us and probe us into saying, hey, you don't know the day or the hour of your death. You don't know the day or the hour of the return of Jesus. Like, we should have this urgency about the gospel, of wanting to live out the gospel and get the gospel out to some extent. Like, there should be this passion within all of us to want to see Jesus' name be made known because it is the last hour. Here's what John is saying. Again, little children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard, that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. Without going super into depth, and, but just talking about, John has this idea, he says, you know the Antichrist is coming. So there was this idea that there would be this person who would persuade the world after himself was coming, and John is saying, but there's already that spirit in the world. Now let me just point something out. The word Antichrist, it really can mean this. It can mean against Christ. Anti can mean against Christ or in place of Christ. I want you to like, remember that or write that down. Antichrist can mean against him, but it also can mean in place of him. And that's important, because obviously there will be a person, there will be a figure, the Bible says there will be a person who will be the Antichrist. Now he's not going to go by the title Antichrist. Hey guys, I'm the Antichrist. Like that obviously won't be his title. I mean, that won't be his name. But that will be his title. That's what he'll be. He'll not just be against Christ, but in place of Christ. He'll be somebody who tries to take the place of Christ. Somebody who tries to come across as a savior, as a Lord, as a hero, in, in that kind of sense. Uh, the Bible has many terms for this person. And again, not that we're going to go super into depth into this today, but just some little titles and verses, if you want to remember. Uh, we'll throw them up here for you guys. He's called the Little Horn in Daniel 7. You can read about that. Like, that's a weird name. Uh, he's the king of fierce countenance. He is the prince that shall come. He is the willful king in Daniel. He is the one who comes in his own name. He is the son of perdition, the man of sin, and the lawless one. If you want to read Revelation 13, he's also called the beast. All right, we, we believe according to Revelation 13 and other passages that this man himself is possessed by Satan himself. Um, we look at this guy as not so much as a guy that people will like kind of look on and go, that's obviously the Antichrist. No, it seems that he'll be charismatic. It seems that he'll win people. It seems to have a lot of different leadership skills, politically, socially, economically. It seems that this guy will actually have it together to some extent. Now, again, I, I'm not fully going to get into this, and I, I don't <laughs> by any means I believe, oh yeah, he's alive and he's actually this person who's living in Italy. Like, I don't know. Like, we don't know. Um, it's kind of silly to me when people try to try to guess and they try to focus on him. I'm not told to look for him. I'm told to look for the Christ. He says, we know the Antichrist is kind of like, we, yeah, sure, you, you know that. John, John, remember, he wrote Revelation. John wrote Revelation 13. John, John, that was written before 1 John. So the point is, he goes, hey, you already, you've read this, you know this, but let me warn you. And I think here's the bigger point. The bigger point is, he says, the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. What is the spirit of Antichrist? Yes, people who are against Christ, but also who try to take the place of Christ. There are also people who want to be Lord, who want to be Savior. There are people who try to, and there will be cults that can become in many forms. There are things, in a sense, in our life that have that spirit of Antichrist. Things that try to take the place of Christ. Again, it is not just this idea of this person, but it's more the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of somebody who's trying to come in place of Christ. Now, we'll talk about this. That's what we call counterfeit. We'll talk about this and more in verse 19 on. We'll look at these different counterfeits of the true Christ, the counterfeits of the true Christ. So we want to look at the authentic side of this. So John's going to say, hey, in light of the counterfeit Christ, there's going to be counterfeit Christians. There's going to be counterfeit Jesuses. There's going to be counterfeit spirits. There's going to be counterfeit community. 
There's going to be all these different counterfeits in light of the spirit of the Antichrist. So here's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the positive side, the authentic Christians. All right, the authentic spirit, uh, the authentic Jesus, authentic abiding. And so if you want, these are kind of the four thoughts today. We'll be looking at authentic Christians, authentic spirit, authentic Jesus, authentic abiding. Here's what John's kind of talking about. There's a lot of counterfeits, so we need to know what the real deal looks like. What does a real authentic Christian look like? Well, he's going to focus in verse 19 on the counterfeit side. So let's just read verse 19 uh, and cause some controversy and have everyone get mad at me today. All right, verse 19 says, They went out from us, or the spirit of Antichrist. So it sounds like they went out from us. They were part of us to some extent, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. This is a profound verse that I would encourage you to memorize. They went out from us, but they're not really of us. For if they're of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out from us to show they're never really of us. Some of you are, who's confused? Like, I'm confused. Okay, let's just talk about this. Let's look at this. John is saying there are people who look like Christians, talk like Christians, were part of Christian community, went to Christian churches, but they left us. And John says they're never really of us. And how many of us know that you can be in church and not be a Christian? How many of us know that you can be around Christian things and around Jesus and still not be a Christian? John is talking about these people. Now let's just ask the question that everyone likes to ask. Does that mean they lost their salvation? Right? This is kind of that, that question that people ask. Can you lose your salvation? And I think a better, and let me just try to do my best to answer this and look at this biblically. I think a good question to ask is, can God lose a Christian? There's something I want to, let me ask you this way. Can you earn your salvation? Do we earn our salvation? So if I do not earn my salvation, and it's freely given, can I unearn my salvation? I hope that, I want to do this. I want to encourage you <laughs> with one hand, because I think the Bible encourages us, and that's what 1 John does. 1 John says, I write this so you can know you have eternal life. I think in some ways, a lot of us need to be encouraged that you are saved by grace through faith. Stop striving, stop working, rest in the finished work of the cross. That's a beautiful thing. Th release yourself from this burden you place on yourself that I got to do these things in order to be saved. That is something we're freed from. But the Bible also does this thing, and I write this verse down. It's 2 Corinthians 13, 5, where, where Paul says, examine yourself and test yourself to whether or not you're in the faith. So the Bible, I love what the Bible does. You go, is it contradicting? No, it's kind of how these tensions. One said, I want you to be comforted and know you, you can know you have salvation. Again, I think I shared this a few weeks ago, but I was talking to this, this guy who's from a Catholic background, and he goes, it is so arrogant that Christians can think they can know they're saved. He goes, so arrogant for you to tell me you know you're in heaven when you die. And I go, but if Jesus paid my price because of what he did. How is that arrogant for me to rest in what he's done? I'm not boasting of myself. I'm boasting of the cross, right? So in some ways, the Bible really does encourage you in our, in our salvation saying you can know you're saved. Then there's a side where it's like, hey, examine your heart. Test yourself. Are you in the faith? The whole book of 1 John is basically saying you'll walk like he walked. You'll love like he loved. You'll be in community. like he, You'll have these signs that you're saved. Those things don't save you, but they are a sign that you are saved. So let's just look at this. They, this verse 19. So can you lose your salvation? Can you? And I would say, simply put, for me, I do not believe biblically anywhere you see anyone lose their salvation, but I think you can fake your salvation. And I think that's what you see biblically. Not so much that they lost it, but there's people who fake it. They went out from us, but they're never really of us. For if they were of us, what is the key word? What is the key idea being communicated? The key thought is they would have continued. They would have continued with us. So let's just talk about this. Let's look at two examples in scripture really quick and then we'll even try to make it. And I think we should emotionally get involved in this because we all know people, we go, um, I have a family member, I have a friend who at one time, point in time, they, they raised their hands during worship, Josiah. <laughs> like, come on, I'm pretty sure they're saved, but they're no longer with God. Where are they? What happens if they die? All right, so first of all, let me just say this, I'm not God. 
I'm not going to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is, right? But the Bible does kind of give us examples that we can know and we can examine people by their fruit and by their evidence. So let's just point this out. You have two guys who walk with Jesus, one being Judas, one being Peter, right? You guys probably know where I'm getting at. Peter, Judas, did some incre- uh, Judas was a guy, if you read, it seems that he casted out demons, he preached the gospel, he's with Jesus, he held the money, right? Like Judas seemed to be a stand-up guy. But the gospel also gives some, shines some light into Judas' life, but he, he constantly stole from the money. He was greedy, he was power-hungry. He wanted Jesus to rule and reign so he could rule and reign. We see that G- Judas was one who betrayed Jesus for money. He was just a guy who wanted money, wanted power, he was greedy. And we see how does his life end. Even though he walked with Jesus, ate with Jesus, lived life with Jesus for three years, mind you, he still would betray Jesus and he'd still actually end up dying, killing himself, taking his own life and being separate. Ju- Judas does not seem to be one who's in heaven. I think we could agree on that. Biblically, does not see. J- Jesus said, I've chosen all of you and one of you is the devil. I don't think like, okay. So we, we can see where Judas is, okay? Now, Peter, Peter's also a guy who ate with Jesus, walked with Jesus, loved Jesus, lived with Jesus. Peter, actually, when you read more about Peter, he seemed to make more mistakes than Judas. When you read about Peter, you go, this guy actually blew it a lot more than Judas did. Like, you wouldn't choose Peter to be the guy that lead, to, to lead the group. You'd probably choose Judas in some ways. Peter, though, is a guy who made a lot of mistakes. Peter, and I can't, like, let's just think about what he did. At the point in time in Jesus' life where he wanted his disciples the most, he goes, watch him pray, watch him pray. I'm about to be betrayed, I'm about to be taken. Peter falls asleep. Not only that, we see that Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. Yes, Judas betrayed me, but you're going to deny me three times. If you guys remember, he's at the fire. The little girl is talking to him. Hey, I, I know you're one of the Galileans. I know you're one of Jesus' disciples. And he says, I do not know the man. And the Bible says he began to swear, explicitly swear. Again, and imagine that. Imagine saying different beep words. Imagine saying different words and saying, I do not know Jesus. Imagine going to that extreme. And then it says, Jesus and Peter made eye contact. And I want you to think if you're Peter for a second, you're swearing that you do not know Jesus. You see Jesus about to go into this council where they're going to decide for him to be crucified. Those are your last words you speak as you see Jesus. And then you don't see Jesus at that point in time. You're not at the cross. That's, you just know that Jesus died this terrible death on the cross and Jesus is in the grave now. <clears throat> what do you think Peter's mindset? He knew his last words about Jesus that Jesus might have seen or heard and made eye contact with each other. I can't imagine the place that Peter was in. I can't imagine that loneliness of going, I can't believe I betrayed the one that, that loved me so faithfully for these last three years. And if you guys know Peter's story, though, Jesus dies, he rises again. Peter and Jesus have a few different encounters. One of them is they're having breakfast by the sea, and, and Jesus, Jesus goes, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I like you. And that whole scene three times, right? And Jesus restores Peter back into ministry. And Peter then becomes the person who, in Acts 2, he preaches the gospel. Thousands of people get saved. But here's what I'm bringing up. Judas did deny or betray Jesus. Peter did deny Jesus. They both walked in love with Jesus. One seemed, though, to actually have a genuine repentance, one seemed to go back to Jesus and be back in community with Jesus' followers. One did not repent and was not back in community with Jesus' followers. My point is, the Bible, tried, I think, does show us two examples of, hey, listen, uh, if you're of us, you will continue with us. Will we have dark days as believers? Will we fail as believers? Will we fail as Christians? Of course we will. Will we continue in that state? No. It's like we, we almost can't. The Holy Spirit of God is in you. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. So for a true, genuine, born-again believer, the Spirit of God's in you. You're going to continue with other believers. Will you fall? Will you fail? Will you, maybe you have seasons where you walk away? Yes. Can I, can I or anyone tell you how long those times are? No, I have no idea. I have no idea if my brother or sister after 15 years will finally wake up. I have no idea what you're feeling. I don't know how that works. I do know, though, if they are of us, they will continue. I do know, though, if they are born again, they will continue with us. I don't know how long that season of drought is. I don't know how long that pain is. 
but I do know they, they will be there. And again, maybe they're not. And I think there's a side where it's like, well, what if they don't? I say, well, then pursue them. Pursue them, love them, chase after them. There are people in our lives who've walked away from Jesus. We shouldn't be okay with that. Like, that should bug us. That should cause us to go, I need, if I need to fly to a different state and meet this person, have coffee with them and plead with them and say, listen, I care about you and I don't want you to go to hell because I love you. And if that were the case, then do that. If God so puts it on your heart, then do that. Like, I actually think that if we as Christians responded in those kind of ways too, and they go, wow, you, you really care about this? Like, yes, I do. Wow, you really believe in heaven and hell? Yes, I do. Like, what if we actually believe that? What if we actually said, this is this person's eternity. It's okay if I take some time and buy them lunch and, and really have a, a, hard, a hard conversation that I don't want, but I'd rather have it be hard than hard forever. <laughs> I'd rather have it be hard for a moment than hard forever. Like, I'd rather have this tough conversation now. Here's the thing, authentic Christians, John talking about, he's going, hey, these weren't. These were counterfeits. The spirit of Antichrist, and again, things in place of Christ. It seems to be whether it was a belief system or whether maybe it's things that can take the place of Christ now in our life. And so he says, here, authentic Christians will continue. And we'll talk about abiding, authentic abiding. We'll talk about that in a second. But there will be that. There will be the sense of wanting to continue on and carry on. And so again, counterfeit Jesuses equal counterfeit Christians. Counterfeit worldviews equals counterfeit believers in God to some extent. They seem to have this knowledge of God, but they deny its power. They seem to love God, but they love the pleasures of men more. Remember 2 Timothy 3. There's these counterfeits out there. So let's keep going. We'll go verse, uh, verse 20 now. We're going to see verse 20 through 21, the authentic spirit. Authentic spirit. Look at verse 20. It says in verse 20, and this is really interesting. Pay attention to this. He says, but you, but you, so you guys, Christians, I'm writing to Christians, remember? But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. You're like, no, I don't. We'll talk about that. Uh, verse 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lies of the truth. Let's jump to verse 27, please. Look at verse 27. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Let me just, let's just bring it back in case you're lost. He says, but you, you have this anointing. You have this one, this spirit who's teaching you, who teaches you all things, who brings you to truth. And so he's talking about the Holy Spirit, obviously. This anointing, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. Now, there is the authentic spirit. That means there are counterfeit spirits. That means there are counterfeit beliefs. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. This is really worth reading. 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You guys follow me? There's the, there is the authentic spirit and there are counterfeit spirits. And Paul and John says, test the spirits. Know whether or not they are of God. What does that look like? How do you do this? How do you know if some, the Holy Spirit is really with you in this way? Let me just point this out. The, the line of thought is about, hey, there are these bad teachers. There are these people going around saying that Jesus did not die and rise again physically. They're saying that he is not God in the flesh, that he's just an emanation or a spirit from God. All right, so these are, these are bad teachings. These are false teachings. These are cults. Well, like, look at that in a second. But he says, but you have an anointing. You have one who shows you that this is wrong. Let me just ask you it this way. Have you guys ever heard, turn on the TV, you click around, you're looking late at night, you're like, oh, TV, I don't know. You just end up on a Christian channel and then you're like, you hear some preacher or teacher and you go, mm-mm. Like, this isn't it. This isn't good. This isn't the gospel. This isn't the biblical gospel as I know it, as the Bible says. Like, and you're like, I don't know how to articulate it. I wish I could word it better, but this doesn't seem right. 
that is that anointing. That is that spirit saying, this is not from me. There's that, that's the idea, honestly. He says, you know, and you know all things. Let me explain that. Remember, we talked about these two Greek words for the word know, K-N-O-W. There's gnosko and there's this eudo, E-I-D-O. One means to know by experience. One means to know by perception. John is using that word, you know, E-I-D-O. He's using that word saying, you know by perception, you know all things. Like, you know this is wrong. You know what I'm saying is true. You know, and he's going to talk about more of this belief in this book. We'll talk more about Gnosticism, but he's, he's saying, you, you know in your heart this is off. You have this anointing that says, mm, this, isn't, this isn't registering right. This isn't good. Let me just point something out to you really quick, too. He says, you have an anointing. And I want to clarify something that gets so misused or misunderstood in the Christian like circle sometimes. Can I just say this? If you believe in Jesus and you've been born again, the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in you, right? The Bible talks about how we can now be filled with the Spirit. He lives in us, but how do we be filled? How do we walk from this place where now the Spirit, not I have the Spirit, but the Spirit has me? How do we now walk in this place where the Holy Spirit has me? That I don't quench the Spirit. That if I feel like God's saying, go give money to this person or go help this person or go share about my son, like I go, okay, God. Like how do we have the Spirit with us? And I want to I want to point something out about this. You have that anointing. I don't know if any you've ever heard someone say, "Oh, that person's so anointed," or like they use this term. Can I tell you? In the Old Testament, that would make sense, but in the New Testament, not so much. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are born again. The Spirit of God dwells in you. I would say yes. You need to be filled with the Spirit. I would say yes. He might live and dwell in you, but does He fully have you? This idea where the Bible says, "Be filled" or "Have the Spirit come upon you." There's still another relationship with the Holy Spirit we should have as believers, and we can talk about that more another time. So that makes sense. But I would say this, you have the Holy Spirit, you have the anointing, John says. Let me encourage you that it's not just like some special, the point is there's not just some special teachers out there that only they have the special insight and knowledge from God and no one else can. God has given us his word, his full counsel. God has given us his spirit. This is not just for one or two people like, oh, but they have the secret knowledge of God that no one else has. Like, no, you have the anointing. God has made us available to all. And even explain this term anointing, which is really cool. When you study the Old Testament, they would anoint only a few people. They'd anoint a prophet. People would anoint them with oil. And the anointing means they'd take oil and anoint you and set you aside for ministry. They'd anoint a prophet. They'd anoint a priest. They'd anoint a king. And they'd anoint a leper who's been cleansed of their leprosy. There's these four different groups of people that experience this anointing. And if you want to study this later, and it's really fun. I think it's fun because I'm a Bible, Bible nerd. But it's really fun when you look at, man, the prophet, the priest, the king, the leper, it all speaks of us. And it all speaks of Jesus. But let me point this out. The prophet, obviously, someone who speaks on behalf of God, they have the anointing, they have that spirit with them. The Bible calls us in First Peter, we are prophets and we are these priests. We're called to this royal priesthood. You, you also have that same anointing of that prophet and that priest. An idea of king, that we are sons of the king. That we are princes of the kingdom, in a sense. The Bible puts it that we have his heavenly reward. And so the king was anointed with oil. And a leper, a leper who's been cleansed of leprosy would then get anointed with oil. And you and I have been cleansed from our sins, from this thing that's been eaten away at us. We've been cleansed. The Bible says you have this anointing. And I tell you, all four of those things speak of Jesus. Jesus who became the leper. Jesus who took our sins so we could be healed. I mean, Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king, and the one who became. I mean, it's fascinating to, to study this, but I love the point is you have the spirit. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're born again, you have the spirit. And you and I should be able to hear when someone talks about Jesus in a way where you go, that's not, that's not my Jesus. You see, can I, can I even point this out really quick for us? We might have many different ways that people view the Bible, approach the Bible when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit or your view of end times or, you know, should my hands be this high or this high? <laughs> There's some of these things in the Bible that they are important, but they're not going to separate our, us from the family of God. So the point is, I might, there might be, these different denominations out there that we love dearly because they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. We might, we might 
we might apply our ecclesiology different. We might apply the way we do church differently, but we're going to love them and respect them and not talk poorly of them because that's my sister, that's my brother in the Lord. The thing I'm trying to bring this up to us is because there are people, though, they're not in the family, but they use the same terminology, right? And let's be honest, when you have a Mormon or you have a Jehovah's Witness come to your door and knock and say, can I tell you about Jesus? You're like, no, can I tell you about Jesus? I don't know how many times I've had, I think I'm off their list now. Now they don't come to my house anymore, which is funny. But this idea of like, no, let me talk to you about Jesus. Like, again, when they're talking to Satan, when someone says, no, do you know that Jesus is created? No. You know, he's a half-brother of Satan, different org chart for sure. Like, when someone brings these things up, there should be this check in our spirit. Someone says, hey, he's Michael the Archangel. You just go, like, the doctrine does matter. We got to understand that, right? If someone says doctrine doesn't matter, that's their doctrine. Doctrine doesn't matter. Belief doesn't matter. Is that your belief? Oh, uh, yeah, but it doesn't matter. Okay, so like, there's a problem with that. So the idea is like, beliefs do matter. They really do matter. And here's the point. When it comes to the Trinity, that we serve one God who eternally exists in three persons. When it comes to the word of God being inspired and errant word. When it comes to the, the person of Jesus, that he's fully God and fully man and lived a sinless life. And he, had, he lived a substitutionary life and death and died and rose again from the grave that he was born of a virgin, that he never sinned before. These are things that we as Christians all hold to. For the past couple thousand years, we haven't, we haven't budged when it comes to this. So my point is, you say this is a family. So my wife and I, let me just give you an example. My wife and I, for her 30th birthday this year, back in March, we celebrated her birthday early. Uh, we went to Arizona, Utah, Nevada, went to all these you know, hiking trips. That's what she wants to do, and that's her thing. I'm like, yeah, I'll go with you and look at the same thing. It's, it's great. So... Um, we went on these. We went on this trip. Now, when we landed in Arizona, we drove into Utah, then we drove into Nevada, and, and it was it was cool. But we're driving across the border. Guess what? When we cross over the border, they didn't say, "Can I see your passport?" Why? Because we're in the same nation, right? Like I can go from Arizona to Nevada to Utah. They're not going to ask to see my passport. Now, if we wanted to make a quick little trip a trip to Tijuana and go to Mexico, they'd say, "Let me see your passport." Why? It's a different nation. See, and I, and I bring this up because different denominations are kind of like different states. We look on it and go, "Listen, they might have different laws to that state, but we're the same nation." So I can pass from this, this state to this state. Might be a little bit different, but we're all this one nation together. Now, as soon as someone goes, hey, but you know Jesus really is created and not eternal, now you're leaving the nation, right? Now you're like, okay, you've crossed over the board. Now they're no longer like, well, Josiah, can they still be our brothers and sisters in Christ? Like, no, because they don't worship the same Christ. They have a different definition of Christ. And this really does matter. It really does matter. This is how John says, he goes, you have an anointing. You have the spirit of God with you. You can know all things. You have no need for a teacher. And verse 27, let me just point that out in case you're like, oh, Josiah, we don't really need you. Sure, that's probably true, actually. But the point of that more is this. You don't need this special guru teacher who says, I have this secret knowledge from God that no one else can have. Because at the same time, in Ephesians 4, God gave some to be pastors and teachers, so God's not going to give people to gift of pastoring and teaching and then say, no, you don't. the point is more of you don't have these special, you don't need these special people that say, no, God gave us a third testament. God gave us a third, God gave me special revelation. Like that ended. The revelation of God was in the person of Jesus, right? And that's, that's the idea. And so this is the point is there's always going to be the authentic uh, Christian and the, the counterfeit Christian. There's going to be the authentic spirit and there's going to be counterfeit spirits, First John 4 says. And now we'll keep moving on. But we're going to talk about the authentic Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus, the authentic Jesus. Looking at verse 24 or verse 22. The authentic Jesus. <laughs> and I love John's just, again, we shy away from truth today because I don't want to make people feel bad. Feeling people, making people feel bad is wrong. Look at John verse 22. Who is a liar? <laughs> who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Notice that terminology he uses. He's Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. 
there are some things we got to realize. There are some close-handed things with our faith and some open-handed things. And I want you to know what I mean by that. Like, again, close-handed things, let's define Jesus from what the Bible says. Born of a virgin, God in the flesh. That means he's eternal, not created. Lived a sinless life. He, cre- he did miracles while he was on earth. He, he lived a substitutionary life and death. He took the sins of the world on the cross. He died for the sins of the world. He rose again three days later. He ascended into heaven. Like, those things really matter, and those are close-handed. And again, then there are open-handed things. So he says, okay, he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, and that should be defined, that's what we just talked about. He, he is God in the flesh. He who denies this, he goes, it's not of us. If you deny the Son, you also deny the Father. So here's kind of a thought. If someone says, you know, I really, I love Jesus. Jesus is great. Jesus is our Savior. And you're like, okay, is he God? Jesus is great. <laughs> he's, your, he's, your, he's our Savior. He died for our sins. Is he God? Well, Jesus is pretty, you can't beat Jesus. Is he God? See, the problem is, again, we have to come to that, that under certain understanding with those things. We got to look at the authentic Jesus. He says, whoever denies this Jesus is, is the Antichrist. He goes, this is that spirit I was talking to you about. And again, here's why that matters, guys. And I want to talk about this in this way. Let me, just, let me change subjects in a sense. There's two sides. There is the doctrinal side, but then there is the practical side. So here's what I mean by that. You might be, and I might be, and I think I was one who grew up in church, and I would tell you, I could, if you gave me a test on who Jesus is, I could check off the right boxes. Jesus is sinless. Jesus is the God in the flesh. I could check off those boxes. But that still doesn't mean I'm saved. I still had functional saviors. I still had antichrists. I still had things in place of Christ in my life, if that makes sense. There are still things in place of Christ in my life that I was actually looking to. So when I was lonely or sad or frustrated, what did I run to? When I, when I needed help, what did I look to? When I wanted to celebrate something, who did I try to celebrate with? The point is, there is, yes, Jesus is our Lord and our Savior, but is he functionally your Lord and Savior? Is he someone that we look to for everything and anything? That he's not secondary, he's not third, that he's there that first. Because the point is, you might have great theology, but, but in your lifestyle and how you live it out, Jesus is not first. You might have great theology, but Jesus is way secondary when it comes to our life. Like, who cares if you can pass the test, but yet you don't know Jesus? You don't walk with Jesus. You, you and I just, we can say all the right things about Jesus, but it's like, yeah, but when's the last time you were just prayed and fasted or just said, God, thank you, and spent time just thanking God and praising God? Like, like well, I don't, I don't pray. I don't read my Bible. It's like, well, what does that mean? Like, I don't get, how do you be like, I'm married to my wife. We just don't talk. We don't live in the same, we don't sleep in the same house. Like, no, it's just not possible. Again, when there's deep relationship and intimacy, there's, there's, it's going to be reflected. It can't just be said or spoken. And so here's the thing. He was a liar. He, he, who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He who denies the Father. Uh, he is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. L- again, I'm trying to be really clear because I, I think you can deny the sons in, in ways other than just theology. There's a side to this where people can deny the Son through theology. And that's, again, we have to address those things. But I think even in the Christian church, like we've got to lovingly say, I love you, and you, you say Jesus is Lord. But again, either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. That just has to be really clearly said. Jesus says, anyone, read, you read Luke 14, he goes, you want to be my disciple? He goes, you must, you must hate your father, mother, and love me. Like, what does that mean? Like, that, that means that your love for me should so surpass any love you have for anyone or anything else that I'm not going to be number two to it. This idea is, again, you might have great theology, but what about our lifestyle? And that, that's what burdens me for us. 
when I look at people, when I look at Christians, and I, I realize they've been in a church for a while, I go, it's great, it's great, you know, and it's great, I could check off the right boxes, but you, people need to check on me. How am I loving Jesus? How am I serving Jesus? How am I worshiping Jesus? How am I enjoying Jesus? Guys, the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2, he's like, hey, you have all these things you're doing well, but you have this against you. You've left your first love. You've done so many good things for the name of Jesus. You've gone on so many trips for Jesus, but you've left your first love. The, the one you first loved, the one you, you couldn't stop talking about, the one you couldn't stop spending time with, your heart now has drifted from him. There should be this sense of, uh, for all of us as Christians, like we, we might have those great spiritual moments and highs, and I, I get that, that happens, but we need to have this deep intimacy with Jesus, like always. Like, I don't, again, the real Jesus is someone I'm going to spend time with in, in every area of my life. I don't want to keep, I just want to, I don't want to keep going too long to this. I just want all of us to take a little moment and just kind of look at our heart and go, man, do I really know the authentic Jesus? And do I really love the authentic Jesus? Am I really, or am I just worshiping Jesus made up in my image? Jesus who only agrees with me. Jesus who never challenges me. Jesus who never asks me to do hard things. Jesus who never tells me to go out and share the gospel. Do I, again, we kind of worship our own Jesus. The Jesus who thinks the way I think and talks the way I talk and would do the things I would do. And again, we, don't, we, we're not, we make Jesus after our image sometimes, sadly, Real, other than realizing we're made in his image. I think there's way more than one way than to deny Jesus. One might be through belief in theology, one might be through lifestyle. And this is something for all of us to look at. And now we're going to look at the last thing. Authentic abiding. Look at verse 24 through 29. We're going to read this, this section, and I just want, every time you see the word abide or abide, just, you know, circle it, highlight it, whatever. Verse 24, therefore, in light of this, in light of everything you've heard, let that abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. What a great promise. Verse 26, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. There are people trying to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Verse 28, and now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Okay, really quick, just going to point this out. He talks about in verse 24, abiding in the word, abide in what you've heard, abide in what you've heard, abide in what you've heard, live and carry out what you've heard. And then he talks about abiding in the spirit. If you want to throw those up, abiding in the spirit. And he talks about abiding in Jesus. So verse 24 through 29 He's using this word three different times about abiding in the word, abiding in the spirit, and abiding in Jesus. So let's just, first off, abide in the word. This word abide, if you want to like write it down, it just means make your home with. Like make this your dwelling place. Dwell in this. Don't leave this. Again, this goes back to just, guys, do we love the word, consume the word, eat the word? As Psalm 119 talks about, your word is better than gold. Do we believe that? Your word is better than treasure. Your word is better than food. Your word is better than sleep. Like all the things he names about the word of God. He goes, it's better than this and this and this. Do we abide in the word? Do you know the word? Is it hidden in your heart? Has the word transformed you? Has it transformed me? Not just knowing it, but has it gone into the deep roots of our heart and, and taken root and made change? Abide in the word. Then he says this, abide in the spirit. And he abides in you, and you abide in him. Let me just ask you guys, when was the last time you sensed the Holy Spirit telling you to do something that you could not ignore? Like, when was the last time the Holy Spirit, you just you were saying, talk to that person. You need to talk about me. You need to talk to my son, Jesus. And you're like, no, I can't do that. When was the last time the Holy Spirit said, you really need to give that up? 
This is an idol in your life. It's taking the place of God. Please surrender it. When was the last time you, you heard the Holy Spirit say, hey, you, you really are so stingy. Be generous. Be loving. God bless those so you can be a blessing. When was the last time you heard the Holy Spirit just move you in any way? When was the last time you actually heard God just speak to you? That? When was the last time you heard the Holy Spirit just say, hey, you're mine? You know, in 2 Timothy 2, there, there's this verse where I love it. It just says this, the Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are his. It's funny how we all, like, I, we all want to know and I get that. But I, I brought me so much comfort where I, I feel like I had to spend time with the Lord and the Lord's like, hey, you're mine. Do you know that you're son or daughter of God? Do you know that you're his? When was the last time the Holy Spirit just confirmed that to you in prayer? When was the last time you fasted and the Holy Spirit made something clear as day and gave you a vision for your life, vision for the kingdom of God? Again, like whatever it is you want to do or pursue, like, there's so many things to pursue in life that are good and we should pursue those things and, and whatever it could be. If, it's a, if starting a business for the glory of Jesus, do that. But again, for the glory, when was the last time you just sensed the Holy Spirit giving you vision for the sense, for the big sake of just transformation for the gospel, for the sake of people coming to know Jesus? So that can be starting a business. That can be going to Hollywood and doing something about it. Like that can be those things, but for the glory of Jesus. When was the last time you sensed the Holy Spirit giving you vision for your life? The idea is this, the Spirit abides in us. Make your home with the person of the Spirit. When you read about the Holy Spirit, the Bible talks about how we can resist him. There are people in my life, maybe in your life, that you can reach out to, family members, friends, you love them, you reach out to them, and they're kind of giving the stiff arm, the stiff arm because they know you're probably going to talk to me about Jesus or something like But we can resist people in life. You can resist the Holy Spirit. Just like I can do something foolish and stupid, I can grieve my family, I can grieve people, we're told that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Just like I can, you know, I can, you can tell me to do something or give me direction. I can quench that. I can put that fire out. The Bible says you can quench the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is not just some force working. And we're, he's a person. The Bible says you can lie to him. The Bible says he grieves emotion. My point is he is a person. Do you abide with him? When was the last time you just sensed the Holy Spirit moving in your life? And, and I hope there's a sense of vision and clarity you guys have. That I have that just can only make there's some things I'll do in my life that I go I know I don't want to do this I have no desire to do this but I can't run away from this any longer and it's like that's the Holy Spirit what, what are those things in your life and he says abiding in Jesus just walking with Jesus making my home with Jesus loving Jesus worshiping Jesus serving Jesus and here's, here's the big click tick to me at verse 28 he says or verse 29 or verse 28 sorry now little children abide in Jesus that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming he says abide in Jesus because Jesus is coming Abide in Jesus because when he comes, not just that he's coming, but you want to have confidence before man is coming. Guys, the, the, again, the coming of Jesus is talked about so often, and for some reason we like to not talk about it. The coming of Jesus is talked about so frequently in every epistle, you will find some reference to the coming of Jesus. It's mind-blowing. So how is it that we kind of just don't live in light of that? He goes, hey, Jesus is coming. Abide in him so when he appears, you may have confidence and not be ashamed. Here's a way of putting it. Is there something I'm doing right now that if Jesus were to show up or be with me, would I be ashamed? If Jesus were to show up while you're watching whatever or doing whatever, would there be a sense of shame? The point that John is trying to make is, listen, abide in him so when he does come, there's no shame. Abide in him and walk with him so that everything's in the light. There should be nothing in the dark that Jesus goes, ah, like there should be none of that. It's like walk in the light. 
Because God is light. We've, we've talked about that, but I was, there's this confidence that we can have and should have before Jesus at his coming. And let me just say this. I don't know about you guys, but I grew up in the church where the coming of Jesus used to freak me out, right? Like, I remember used to think of, like, oh, gosh, like, please, not today, Jesus. You can come any day, but not, not today. Like, there'd be like, I had, like, really bad fear of, like, I, and we'd always joke as a friend group, like, Jesus is coming on my wedding day. Like, he's coming the night before I get married. I know it, right? Like, there's always this fear, like, or oh, I'm not going to have kids. Jesus can come. And there was, like, and here's what it really showed. And, and it's weird how that does happen. You're like, oh, no, Jesus could come back before. Here's what that does reveal. I know it's kind of funny, and that's, but it revealed in my heart, and I feel like the Lord had to show me this, is that I didn't want Jesus to come because there's things I love more than Jesus. I didn't want Jesus to come because I really cared more for that than I did for Jesus, and that Jesus coming would be bad. And now it's like funny, and you guys might, some of you might understand what I'm talking about, but the more you live, you kind of go, okay, I'm, sorry, I'm tired of seeing loved ones pass away. I'm tired of not having money to pay the bills. <laughs> I'm tired of going through these things, and you go, Jesus, if you were to come right now, I'd actually be really happy. Like, you kind of realize everything in life that you can experience that you might think is good. You go, man, nothing's better than Jesus. You know, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. <laughs> Like, you kind of realize that no matter what the world can throw at me, there's nothing better than being in the dwelling place of God, than being with the one who created joy, than being with the one who created creativity, than being with the one who created all things good. There's going to be nothing better than that. And yet, for some reason, the coming of Jesus seems to haunt us, which I, I, I feel like God's just trying to, he needs to, like, reorchestrate that in our, in our hearts, which is the coming of Jesus is the most beautiful thing in the world that we are, as Christians, we should be longing for and looking to. And in a sense, when we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, the idea of that prayer is, God, I want to live my life in, in a, such a kingdom way. Like, I want to live my life in such a way where I'm preparing your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I'm, not, I'm praying that, but I'm praying that God would do something in my life to make this world more like the place that it will be, where Jesus rules and reigns. See, we're, we're at this place now, again, as believers, as Christians, where you kind of have this option of either the idea of Jesus coming puts fear in your heart because maybe there's sin, or it puts frustration in your heart because you maybe think there's something else out there better than Jesus, or it puts this longing in your heart where you're just like, I just can't wait for Jesus to come. I love the end of Revelation. The end of Revelation, if you read the last few verses, Jesus says, behold, I am coming quickly. And then John says what? Even so, Lord, come quickly. I love, Jesus goes, I'm coming pretty, qu- I'm coming quickly. And John's like, can you make it faster though? Like, speed it up. Even so, Lord, come sooner. That's just the kind of the prayer now. It's like, okay, you can come next. I would love that if it's now. Because there's gonna be nothing better than that. I'm just gonna say as Christians, let's stir within our heart now. This fear that we've had maybe towards that idea needs to become beauty. This frustration, this I want I to do, th- th- it needs to become, there's nothing better than to be at the right hand of God with this pleasure forevermore. Here, here's the thing. There are authentic Christians and there are counterfeits. There's the authentic spirit and then there's counterfeits. There's the authentic Jesus and there's counterfeits. There's authentic abiding in Christ and there's counterfeits of those who I think they're abiding or just kind of around it. I'd say abide in the word. Abide with Jesus. Abide in the spirit. Make your home, make your dwelling place with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit, and with his word. Amen? We just pray for you guys and we're gonna, I'll share something with you at the end. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we thank you so much that you loved us first. God, we don't want this just to be a closing prayer. God, we want to invite you here and just ask that you would have a conversation with us. God, what is it from your word that we've read tonight that you want to apply to our lives? Jesus, what is it you want to do within the lives of everyone in this room? Jesus, what is it you want to confirm in the hearts of people today that they are yours? Jesus, sometimes, <laughs> Jesus I just ask that right now you would just speak to us because sometimes we are just so tired so exhausted, so confused, so busy that we don't have time to hear from you. We want to hear from you. 
Jesus, I ask that your spirit would just move in everyone's life, God, that this would not just be about theology or, or it would not just be about what we know about you, but that we would know you, Jesus, that we would walk with you intimately hand in hand. Lord, I pray for everyone here that they, as they go home tonight, as they uh, lay their head down, that Jesus, they would set aside time where they can hear from you, that they would abide in you. God, encourage hearts, convict hearts, do whatever it is you want to do. Do surgery on our hearts, we ask. God, make us more like your son. Give us a burden, God, for Deerfield. Give us a burden for our neighbors. God, we ask that we'd have a burden for our family members and friends who don't know you. God, I ask that this would be, this gathering of believers would be about you and for you. And God, in so that we'd reach the lost, that your name would be glorified. That Jesus, people would come to know you through the believers in this room, that you use people to reach people. And so God, we thank you for that. God, we just look to you now in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, <clears throat> here's what we're going to do. We're not going to close with worship today. We're actually going to kind of do things a little differently tonight. Um, I want to I encourage you guys with a couple thoughts, and I want to share with you guys a couple things. Our hope here is, to, again, not just to have Bible study and leave and forget. Our hope is not just to kind of do things here or there. We really do want to be a community of believers that we can really do live life with each other to some extent. And the truth is, you know, it might look different for all of us. I'm not going to be in everyone's community group. You're not going to be in everyone's community group, but we would love to create those opportunities where you can actually be in community and know each other. So, you know, my wife has a group that meets on Mondays. Uh, Silver has a group that meets on Mondays. We have Emily that meets on Saturdays and Haley that meets on Thursday. We have Juan's group Thursday, my group Saturday mornings. We have different groups because we really do want to create this community. And we, we hope that you guys can, we want to invite you into that. It's not so much more of an announcement as much as like, how can we actually do this? And we don't really know other than like, let's just set aside time where we can be intentional about seeking Jesus together and getting to know each other for the glory in the name of Jesus. So that's what we want to do. And we want to just invite you out to that. And I want to share this with you. If you guys can just even be aware of this, help us with this and, and know. But next week after service, we're going to close and end like this, take a five minute break and immediately kind of have like a vision update night. So next Saturday, October 15th, we're going to have our normal, we're going to go through First John, have our normal time of worship and prayer. And we're going to end and we're going to actually just spend time 10 to 15 minutes talking about, so what is the point of this and where are we trying to go? And what does that look like? And how do we do that? And we'll be about 10, 15 minutes of us sharing. And then I'll probably just open up to like Q&A and usually not have the answer, but uh, we'll open up to questions afterwards. So we'd love for you guys to, to just even come to that, be a part of that. Uh, this is a time for us to kind of say, hey, it's October 15th, and in a month and a half, here's what we see the Lord doing. Here's what we'd like to be. Here's what God has been doing. Can you join us in that? Guys, if you see, like, we do need people who want to help us with worship. We, we need people who help us run sound, who want to help with kids and hospitality and, and really own this with us. So we want to invite you into that. Um, we want to help you, I guess, we want to see if you want to be a part of that. So we'd love to invite you out to this next week. It'll be immediately after service, and we'll kind of share more what this looks like, 10, 15 minutes, and then we'll have some sweets or something. So I just want you guys to know that. And if you want to help us get the word, that's kind of our hope. So uh, we love you guys. We're thankful for you guys just coming here. We hope that Jesus can do something mighty that only he can do, that he would build the house so we don't labor in vain. Amen. That is our prayer from day one is, God, you build this because we don't know how to do it. Um, So that's what we've been praying for. And again, we're going to end a little bit early, I think. I don't know. Probably not. But we're going to end. Uh, uh, we actually have some dandy donuts, the best donuts you could have. Um, some sour cream donuts that are my favorite, the glazed ones. Woo-woo. Uh, so we have some donuts. We just want to hang out with you guys. We're going to actually ask, like, we're going to like, close this down and say, hey, why don't we go in here, get some coffee, get some donuts, hang out, spend some time doing that. All right? Love you guys. Thank you for coming. We'll see you next door. All right.